I wanted to welcome all of you here. Um, I, I'm mindful of, of Easter, and, and my mother, who passed away in 2010, she, she used to lament. She gets so upset about Easter. They're taking my seat. Where do these people come from? And I used to say, Mom, come on, people are busy through the year, and it's an opportunity to reconnect. And she goes, okay. So she'd settle down. But for the longest time in my family, we were CEO Christians, Christmas and Easter only. And uh, Christmas is the promise and Easter is the fulfillment. And, and I commend you for, for coming at Christmas and I commend you for coming at Easter. Uh, the idea, though, is, is to fill the remainder of that year with the Lord. And you don't forsake fellowshipping with the saints and there's strength in fellowship. And I just, I want you to, to connect today. I want you to find a home. For those of you who've been away and, and you're coming back today, welcome home. For those of you who are new, Welcome home. Um, the idea is we're a family. And I, I just, I'm, I'm so thrilled you're here. Um, and we do change the seating during the week, so it's a little more comfortable and, and, uh, and you'll enjoy it. But I just want you to be blessed and know that, that this is your home and we're grateful you're here. Uh, for those of you visiting out of town, welcome. Uh, make sure when you get back home to where you live, get, in, get plugged into a church. Um, the idea is Jesus isn't just a compartment in your life. He's everything. And today we, we're going to take a look at exactly that because the passage that, that uh, John read earlier out of Matthew 28 is the one that I want to study today and I want to take a look at it. Uh, if, you, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Matthew 28. We're going to put the words up on the screen this morning. I'm going to pick up at verse 1. And the passage reads, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came, and pay attention to this, ready? And rolled back the stone from the door. I'll repeat that. And rolled back the stone from the door. And he sat on it, and his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. Even in the Greek, it's hard to describe how radiant he was. And the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. And he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid and go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. That's the passage, but I want to take a look at it from another angle. And this is in the Gospel of Mark. It's in chapter 16, starting with verse 1. It says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Solomon, they brought, Salome, excuse me, they brought spices that they might come and anoint him, prepare his body for burial. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And then one last passage, and this is to put it into context, there was a great concern that the tomb would be found empty and the claims of Christ that he would rise from the dead would establish the truth of his gospel. So the Romans and the Pharisees and everyone put out a contingency of soldiers to guard the tomb. And we find that in Matthew 27, verse 66, where it says, So they went and made the tomb secure, 
sealing the stone and setting the guard. These guards were trained to protect. The seal of Rome was upon it. The guard was established so that there would be no speculation. Christ would rise from the dead and the tomb would remain empty. But there was this very important aspect for all of us today that we would have the opportunity to peer into the empty tomb and see that the stone had been rolled away and the tomb was empty. Christ didn't have anything to prove to mankind. He, he is God. The only people he appeared to were those who believed him, and there were 500 witnesses and testing to many others. And, and yet, for those who are skeptical, today we're going to focus on this idea that the stone was rolled away. Look at the rock. Look at the rock. And the idea is this rock, this stone of Christ has been rolled away. I want us to focus on that because it is a very important aspect of Christianity that the tomb is empty. It's what separates Christianity from every religion in the world, that our Savior is alive and he's overcome death. He's beaten death. You see, he is resurrected. He is a living Savior. He's not a revived corpse. He is a living Savior. Death couldn't kill God. And on Friday, when we went through the Good Friday service, Maundy Thursday, Maundy means commandment, and that's where Jesus had the Last Supper, and he commanded his disciples that they would love one another. And then Good Friday, the service that we uh, experienced together as a body of believers, is the crucifixion that they had beaten him. And for 15 hours, he was in the hands of man, and what they did to him was awful. Uh, they, they whipped him with a cat of nine tails and shredded his back, and they pulled his beard out of his face. They beat him so that his own mother wouldn't recognize him. They put a crown of thorns upon his head. They mocked him, they spit upon him, they ridiculed him. And as they did this, for 15 to 18 hours, this unending brutalizing of Jesus, it came to a place where he said seven final words upon the cross. And of these seven final words, a few of them just in recalling Friday's message, each time he uttered one of these seven last words, these seven last sayings, the light of his life was being snuffed out. His earthly body was perishing. One in particular, as he said, mother, behold your son, son, behold your mother, as he put Mary into the care of the apostle John, and, and John would care for her in Ephesus years later. He said, uh, to Telestai, towards the end of, of his, his hanging on the cross before his body, his earthly body died, he said, to Telestai, and in the Greek it's one word, but in the English it's three, it is finished. He said, I thirst. He said that prior to saying to Telestai because he had to declare that the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who was slain for sinners had been accomplished. And he, he needed to utter the word to Telestai and, and the, the tongue of his mouth was, was stuck to the roof of his mouth because of the thirst that he'd endured from the beating. And, uh, and he said, I thirst. And so they moistened hyssop and they wet his mouth and he was able to utter the last two phrases, it is finished. So as he, he said these things, he even had time to say to the thief on the cross, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. A thief that had mocked him earlier on, one that wasn't able to get down and be baptized, one that didn't go through any ritual, but that day would be with the Lord in paradise. The idea is that salvation by grace through faith, it's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. And that thief can testify that there's nothing we do but believe. And as we trust him with our life, even as we hang with, on upon a cross with life, you know, flowing out of our body and death rapidly approaching, we can have those deathbed conversions. And there we have the thief on the cross who was told by the Lord, today you'll be with me in paradise. But the final statement of Christ upon the cross, as the, the lights, the candles of his life, as we started to snuff those out on Friday, it came down to the final one where Jesus said, Father, 
Into thy hands I commit my spirit. You see, earlier on, he had said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He didn't refer to God the Father as Father. He referred to him as God, saying that this is a will of God. And he said, why hast thou forsaken me? Because he was in the middle of a contractual agreement that justice had to be uh, met and that he was the lamb who would be sacrificed. And all the sins of the world were poured upon him. And it was at that moment, one of the most mystical, intense moments in all of human history, when he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, in Arabic, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He then concludes his life as he breathes his last. He says, Father, an endearing term of a son to a father. He says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Into thy hands. Those hands that fashion the universe, those hands that hold the heavens in the span of his hand, those hands that, that uh, the scripture says we've been fearfully and wonderfully made, knitted together in our mother's womb by those hands. And into those hands, Father, I commit my spirit. Jesus committed himself into the care of the Father. And the picture that the Lord had given me on Good Friday was uh, what happens with our children. I'm a father of five kids. And as they were growing up, uh, when it was dark, they would come and they'd, they'd get into our bed. If it was raining and it was thunderous, they'd come and get in our bed. And my daughter reminded me, Daddy, the reason why we'd come at night and crawl into your bed is because we were afraid. And I would venture to guess with certainty that the room is filled with fear today. Fear, worry, doubt, trepidation, questions, concerns, doubt, wonder. And as we come and gather in this room trying to stave off the gathering darkness of the misery of a fallen world that seems to be increasingly getting worse, as we read upon so many stories in the news and the misery in Belgium and around the world, we look and we think, we're scared. We crawl into the bed of the Father, and what's fascinating is what I would do with my kids is when they lie in bed with us, kids are notorious for taking up real estate that doesn't belong to them. <laughs> and if Michelle and I were to get a good night's sleep, I would pick them up in the strong hands of the Father, and I was strong enough then. I probably I tried to lift Daniel. I did a pretty good job on Fridays, 6'3", almost 200 pounds. <laughs> I can still do it. But I would lift these little children up and carry them into their bed while they were sleeping, and they would, they would be lifted from the Father's uh, from, from, from where they were laying and they'd be taken to where they belong. And when they would awaken in the morning, fear had been lifted, the sun had risen, and they were there where they always belonged to begin with. And their father had carried them. And so the children would entrust themselves to the father's hands. And then the final statement, I commit my spirit. And he was just simply saying, Father, I put my trust in your hands. Similar to what all of you are doing now as you sit in these seats, I can look at these seats and, and declare intellectually that that seat right there that you're seated next to that's empty, uh, I, I can sit in that seat. I, I know it'll hold me because I can see the testimony of all of you um, trusting yourselves into those seats. Yeah. And, and I can trust that seat intellectually, but, but spiritually and physically, it's not until I go and sit in that seat that I have faith, that that seat will hold me. Faith is an action. Faith requires us to put ourselves in the care and so that faith into thy spirit, I, into thy hands, I commit my spirit. I am trusting you with my life. I'm trusting you with my life. And then he gave up his spirit. That last candle was snuffed. And, and this is the fascinating thing about darkness. We think that darkness overcomes the light. We think that darkness is invading our world. We think that darkness uh, tends to just creep ac across the, the, the world 
similar to a virus or a plague. But darkness doesn't overcome light. Darkness has no power. It's light that overcomes darkness. One light in a darkened room dominates the room. It's the focal point of the room. You see, light brings clarity. Darkness brings confusion. Darkness also causes us to have uh, illusions and fear. We see shadows and shapes and, and we're frightened. And that's why the children run to their parents' bed because they're scared of the darkness and the shadows. And their mind wanders. And yet, when you turn the light on and when, when light fills a room, the, the illusion dissipates. And the only thing that darkness can do is confuse and bring illusion. The illusion on that Good Friday when it appeared as though darkness had overcome the light, that illusion that somehow we killed God was exactly that, an illusion. The light was never stuffed out. You see, the cross, the nails, nails don't hold God to a cross. No one took Jesus' life. Yes, he was crucified, and mankind crucified him, but it was willingly. Jesus said, no man takes my life. I willingly lay it down. Nails don't hold God to a cross. What held the Lord to the cross was his love for you and I, that he would be a substitutionary death because the wages of sin is death. He would die in our place. And so that's what the Lord did for us. And the grave couldn't hold him because he was without sin. And Jesus overcame the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And that is the power of the resurrection. That's why you're here. We, we, we think of these things that, that resurrection is the sun rising and you do a sunrise service and we see a new day dawning and a, and a hope for all of us who are embattled in some sort of a struggle, whether it be addiction or the loss of a loved one or a diagnosis of a terminal illness. Whatever that is, your world has been rocked. You've been shook to the very foundation and the core of who you are and you're here longing for hope and I get that. I get that. You see, it's been a hard year. And I, quite frankly, am sick of death. I'm sick of the word cancer. Growing up, I had three friends that we hung out together. The four of us were the four horsemen of the apocalypse. (laughs) We grew up in a sleepy little Navy town that today is a billionaire's boys club. But back then, it was a sleepy little Navy town called Coronado. All of our parents were in the military in one form or another. My friend Bruce Morris, his father was a a Vietnam veteran, a a naval aviator, an officer in the United States Navy. My my friend Jess, his father had served in the Marine Corps on Iwo Jima. My friend Paul Turner, his father too, was a naval aviator. And my father was a line officer of what they call a black shoe. He was on board uh, commands of, of naval vessels. He had three tours of Vietnam. Uniquely, all three of our parents, um, or, or excuse me, all, all, all four of our mothers uh, struggled with, with alcohol. Bruce's mom, Lorraine, drank, and, and uh, Jess's mother, Peggy, drank, and Paul Turner's mom, Constance, she wasn't a heavy drinker, but she had her struggles in life. She was an amazing woman, as were the other four, or uh, the, all four of them. My mother, she drank, and and. What ended up happening is Bruce's mom died first. Lorraine passed away, and, and then my mother died in 2010. And then this year when I was teaching uh, some kids at a speech club, I got news that Jess's mom, Peggy, had passed. And I knew each of these women, and they were bigger than life and quite an interesting generation that had gone through with Vietnam War and World War II. 
And then uh, just yesterday, I got word that Constance Turner, Con Turner, had passed away. Con was um, my daughter Molly, my oldest child, my daughter Molly's godmother. Paul and David were boys I grew up with, and and uh, to hear that she had passed, all of a sudden a, a generation has passed, and now we're realizing my father's still living, um, um, but our mothers have died. And I realized at that moment that at 51 years of age, I have now taken that role in my children's life, that they're going to prepare for, for my passing, and I've got time, Lord willing, I'm 51, but... I'm certainly past the halfway point. I don't foresee living to 102. I know what I've done to my body. (laughs) But it puts everything into perspective as a generation passes. And I was sad. I was sad because Con Turner, I had shared the gospel with her on a number of occasions, and she struggled with Christianity. And I don't know if she died knowing the Lord, and I pray with all my heart that she knew the Lord. He cared for that woman. I know my mom walks with the Lord. I believe Bruce's mom came to Christ. I don't know about Peggy. And I know Jess doesn't know the Lord, but I've been praying for him. I've been praying for Paul. But I know that Bruce, my friend who uh, is now out of the Navy, retired. He's a Navy SEAL. Now he works for DevGrew and runs special forces around the world. And I was contemplating death And I look around the room, and it's the one thing we have in common, that we're all going to die. It's just a matter of time. And we whistle while we go by the graveyard, and we, we try to hide from it. But the reality is, at times like this, that we come face to face with it. I've often said that no one listens to me at a wedding, especially the bride and groom. But everyone listens at a funeral. Everyone's faced with their mortality and we have to process this. And, and the question comes as you gather in this room, what is your solution? What is your solution? We've, we've had many, um, a teacher throughout the ages declare that they have some sort of a solution similar to the Heaven's Gate cult where you fill your pocket full of nickels and wear purple and hope that the aliens will take you. I agree, it's awful. And as, and as we contemplate what happens when we die, here we see in this passage of Scripture that the stone, the rock, has been rolled away. And the picture of this rock being rolled away is a declaration of the power of the resurrection, that Christ overcame death by the, by the power of life in Christ Jesus. He was God and he overcame death. He paid the penalty so that we too wouldn't face death. And then this story came full circle as I started to reflect on Khan's death and I was thinking about my father. I went to go visit him about two weeks ago. I got to Oceanside on my trip down and then got hit with the flu and called in a Tamiflu uh, prescription, got to Coronado, uh, fulfilled the prescription and then collapsed at my sister's house to recover, not wanting to infect my father. I finally drove home. I don't remember the drive back, but I recovered by that Wednesday and Thursday I was up and running. I'm going to go visit him tomorrow. I'm thinking about my dad. I remember one of the last trips I took with him. And it was fitting to me because I reflected back on something that happened at a park there. I went back to the eastern seaboard to New Hampshire. Uh, My father was asked to come back for a reunion, a ship's reunion for the USS Summersworth. And the Summersworth was named after the city of Summersworth in New Hampshire. 
The Summersworth was a little minesweeper. It was a tiny little vessel that my father commanded when he was a lieutenant. And as a lieutenant, you don't get a command of a vessel. And this was quite an honor as he was on fast track uh, for higher command. And, and he had uh, an angel looking out for him, earthly, by the name of Rear Admiral Robert Early, who was uh, assisting his career. And I was named after him. He's my godfather. But as a lieutenant now commanding the USS Summersworth back in the 50s, my father was stationed in the submarine division. And at the time, sonar was the, the, the big innovation of the time. And it was going to further our military advances. And they were testing sonar in the 50s, and and what they would do is they would create explosions at certain depths, and they would read it through sonar of these explosions. And my father was the one assigned to establish these explosions through these depth charges at certain depths aboard the minesweeper, the USS Summersworth. Well, what happened is they couldn't get the, the charge to explode at a specific depth, and so assigned on board the ship was a munitions expert that was assigned by the submarine division, And this munitions expert was put on board my father's ship. Now, the cylinder uh, of the explosive couldn't fit enough detonator caps in it to uh, initiate the explosion at those certain depths. And so this quote-unquote munitions expert tried to put one more detonator into the cylinder, and it wouldn't fit, so he decided to hammer it in. And, of course, the explosion occurred. My father was saved by the three-quarter-inch steel plating upon the bridge of the ship that folded over and saved my father's life. But as my dad went down to assess the damages as they were off the Atlantic, one man had lost his arm completely, and my father stopped the bleeding and saved his life. Another man, the bosun's mate, half of his body was eviscerated. He died in my father's arms. My dad never spoke of that probably one of those things you don't want to revisit. The imagery is one of those things you try to get out of your mind, I imagine. I was only made aware of it when I honored my mother, asking that I would attend with my father the ship's reunion in Summersworth, Massachusetts. My dad had no idea what we were doing, but my mother knew it would be important to the men on board the ship to see the commanding officer one last time. So we took this flight to the East Coast, and there we were in Summersworth, New Hampshire, and, and I'll, I'll never forget, as we were in this, this room, we were honored by the city fathers and the city council, and they had dedicated a park there, and my father was present. And he was an elegant man, still is, and he composed himself, even though he had no idea where he was. He had this ability to just stand in a stature that honored those who wanted to honor him. And at that moment, we concluded and had a reception in, in the Legion Hall, and as we were there, there came a man with a prosthetic arm. And he came to my father. My father had no idea who he was. The man realized the vacant stare in my father's eyes and hugged him as best he could with his arm. And then he stood back and he turned to me knowing my father couldn't receive his words, but he turned to me, my father's youngest son. He said, do you know that your dad visited me every day in the hospital in Groton, Connecticut? He would drive the distance to come see me. Do you know your dad saved my life? And there next to him were his three children. And what had happened is the explosion was written up in the New York Times, and it was on the front page of papers across the country, almost ending my father's military career. And and if you go into the ship's log at the Queen Mary that's now in repose in Long Beach Harbor, you'll see that, that the 
the Queen Mary had to circle the USS Summersworth three times to cool its boilers and come alongside to transfer the wounded because it was the only ship in the region that had a physician on board and it saved the lives of all the men that were severely injured. My dad's career was for the most part over, but it was Rear Admiral Early that would restore it. My father would go on to have an illustrious career of three tours of Vietnam and retire as a Navy captain. Silver Star, Bronze Star, Legion of Merit, highly decorated. Lovely man, still is. But after that concluded, my father and I traveled to a park. I don't remember the park. It was somewhere um, near the coastal region of New Hampshire. It might have even been in the southern portion of Maine. As we went to this little seaside park, there was a rock there. And I, I began to laugh at it, and I read it. My father, it seemed to click with him, and he started to laugh which was a rarity that it would mean anything to him. It was called a weatherstone. And the weatherstone was quite hilarious. And I remember as my father laughed, my father then uttered these words. He says, red sky in morning, sailor take warning. Red sky at night, sailor's delight. Now, I couldn't find that original stone, but I found a picture of one of them. It's called the weather rock. And this is what we laughed at. It says, forecast. If the rock is dry, the weather is fine. If the rock is wet, it is raining. If the rock is white, it's snowing. If the rock is swinging, it's windy. If the rock is jumping, there's an earthquake. And if the rock is gone, there's a cyclone. I didn't realize that as we gather on this Easter of 2016, how significant that visit and that time with my dad would be to me. And I pray for all of us this day. It's a humorous illustration It's a profound statement that we would find in it. And I want to draw your attention to it. And it's real simple. Check the rock. Check the rock. You see, we're in storms of life right now. You want to get a bearing on the storm, you have to check the rock. You want to know what type of a storm it is? You check the rock. I think as we scan the room... A lot of you have come today in the struggles of your life with many questions on your mind. Some of you have not been to church in a long while. Some of you didn't want to come, but you've come to honor a mother or father or a loved one, and you're here just wondering, why am I here? I get that. I've been in your shoes. But I think for all of us, what we need to do today is to check the rock. Check the rock. It's a verbal instruction that... To each of you, I believe, will answer your questions. I can guess some of the questions that you might have. It's real simple because I've been where you are. You're wondering how to receive eternal life. Check the rock. The stone's been rolled away. You're wondering what Easter's all about. Check the rock. You're wondering how to be set free from your fear of death as you whistle through the graveyard. Check the rock. The more I reflected back on my time with my father, the more profound those words echo in my heart. You're wondering how to be set free from your addictions. Check the rock. You're wondering about how to be delivered from the sting of death and what your future holds. Check the rock. You're wondering why Christianity is different from all other religions. Check the rock. 
Apathy won't win the day. If you're wondering if Christianity is relevant to you today, check the rock. The stone's been rolled away. The tomb is empty. You're wondering if Jesus is God. Check the rock. No other religion can testify to the evidence and the profound nature that the stone has been rolled away. You're wondering if Jesus really conquered death. Check the rock. It's that simple. It doesn't require you to be a rocket scientist. If you're wondering if Jesus is alive today, check the rock. If you're wondering if he'll speak to you today, check the rock. He will. If you're wondering if he's coming again, I assure you he is. Just check the rock. The stone has been rolled away. It's the pivotal point that sets Christianity apart from every religion in the world. The removal of the rock and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, simply put. You see, Christmas is the promise, and Easter is the fulfillment of that promise. Christ came to die. He came to die in our place. He was crucified. And just like he said in Luke chapter 9, he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. He must be killed, and on the third day, be raised to life. He made the claim. And if you wonder if it's legitimate, check the rock. Check the rock. The key here is that he was raised from the dead like he said he would be. He just checked the rock. What changed at this pivotal point in history? When these women came to the tomb, they saw the angel upon the rock. They saw the soldiers trembling in fear. They saw the brightness of this lightning and this countenance of this angel that was so profound they couldn't even describe it with human words. What changed at that pivotal point in history? Well, it's real simple. The resurrection of Christ vindicated Jesus' claims about himself that he was the son of God in the flesh. He was the fulfillment of God's dealing with humankind. Just check the rock. No longer would people have to follow rules and traditions and somehow follow the rules of men to somehow come to this place where their life had any meaning. Christ would say, I have covered your sin. I have covered your transgressions. And it's this idea of that being reconciled to the Father because of Christ's sacrifice upon the cross. And the grave couldn't hold God, even though the illusion that somehow man was able to put God to death, he couldn't and he didn't. Man can't kill God. Check the rock. It's that simple. The old covenant had been superseded by the new proof of the resurrection. We're not saved by the law. We observe the law because we are saved. The law doesn't save. It just shows us that we need a savior because Jesus lives. He is the Messiah. We call him Jesus Christ. Christ isn't his last name. It's his title. It means Messiah, the one in whom you trust, the one who has come to set you free. He is the one who has paid the penalty for your sins. Another way to look at this question is to ask, what would be different if Jesus had not risen from the grave? What would be different if he hadn't resurrected? If there had been no resurrection, Christianity as we know it would no longer exist. How awful would that be? There'd be no hospitals in Jesus' name. There'd be no rescue missions in the inner cities. There'd be no Mother Teresa. There'd be no Billy Graham. There'd be none of these places established to deliver people. There'd be no teen challenge. There'd be no Salvation Army. There'd be no government with inalienable rights endowed by our creator. There'd be no United States of America. There would be nothing if there was no Christianity. If there'd been no resurrection, Christianity as we know it would not exist. What a travesty that would be. 
we would just be stuck following the teachings of another fascist dictator, fascist leader. We'd be stuck in some rat wheel of, of, of self-works and self-improvement, trying to somehow gain access to a God that we can't put a name to, one who would be capricious that we somehow have to appease, and the misery of mankind would be inundated in every vestige of our culture. They would just join the countless other religious writings of the mound of false religions that the world would heap upon our shoulders. And we'd be stuck trying to somehow reconcile to God because there was no resurrection. People would be left with no other option for salvation other than to strive for absolute obedience and we'd just be robots. And our human nature, and our, our, our human humanist tendencies, the beauty of, of art and And all these things would just be dissipated. You see, the beauty of Christianity is I don't observe the law to be saved. I observe the law because I am saved. It's not out of obligation that I follow God. It's out of adoration. There's no other religion in the world that gives that kind of a relationship with our creator. That we can have a loving relationship with the Lord. The observation of this condition and position of the rock was the first clue that all who went to the tomb saw that something had happened. When you check the rock, you can realize something happened. That thing is moved. And as the women declared, it is too heavy. You can't move your own stone. Check the rock. It's been moved. The rock was moved out of the way. And the reason why it was moved out of the way was because the storm of the Lord's salvation had moved it to the side. Now nothing stands in the way of God redeeming mankind. Nothing stands in the way of our salvation. Check the rock. It's been moved. The tomb is empty. We only need to check the rock. We need to see that it's been rolled away from the entrance to the tomb. You see, we're going to be taking a trip in June as a church to Israel. I love going to Gordon's Calvary. There you see this massive stone rolled away. You walk in, you observe the tomb is empty. Even if you go to the traditional side or Gordon's Calvary, both tombs are empty. And the power of it is Christ has risen from the grave. He's overcome sin and death by the power of life in Christ Jesus. And I think about this world today. The story of Easter without the removal of the rock would provide each of us, quite honestly, a sense of hopelessness. Could you imagine if there was no resurrection? Even if you come on Christmas and Easter, of only Easter, or this is the first time you've ever darkened the door of a church, I ask you, from where does your hope come? We've just gone through eight years of hope and change that has left us with no hope and no change. Where does your hope come from? Is it in one of the presidential candidates? I, I hurt for you, and I don't care which one you pick. If your hope is in a man or a woman, how tragic is that? If your hope is in a government, if your hope is in reincarnation, God forbid I have to do this over again. (laughs) Like Groundhog's Day. (laughs) Bill Murray and people thought, well, you just get to keep coming back and you get to get it right. I don't know. That's hell. Seriously. You have to redo? Reset, reset, reset. I I can't even do that doing video games. It's awful. Is that your hope? 
Your hope is in the philosophy or, or, or ideas of man that somehow if, if we can have a one world government, that's your hope? And how will that stop you from dying? And what is your hope beyond the grave? We're left empty. We're the only creatures in all of God's creation created with this idea of eternity. We know in the depths of our soul that there's something more. It's that God-shaped void that Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher, declares exists in our soul. And you know it's gnawing at you. You can come up with some sort of fanciful story. You can come up with some sort of strange idea. But truly, do you believe that? You're frightened. You're scared. You won't even get on a plane going to Hawaii if one of the engines is out. Yet you're going to bank your eternity on some sort of writings? Some sort of silly philosophy? What is... What do you trust? Check the rock. That is upon which my faith is established. The tomb is empty. You don't have that assurance. I do. I long that you would as well. Check the rock. The stone has been rolled away. The tomb is empty. But to not have Easter in your heart is to create a sense of hopelessness. Where where did your loved ones go? Ruth Sosowski just died. I know I'm going to see her again. I know I'm going to see my mom again. What hope do you have? And what evidence for your hope? You, you, you seldom even reflect on it. And when you do, you know it's empty and void of any meaning. If you have no hope beyond the grave and you look at your loved one, all you're left with is a, is, is a lifeless, limp body of one you've loved in a shell that is, is deteriorating and rotting. All you have is a stone to visit and an empty cemetery. And when you go, no one will remember them. No hope, no life, only despair. And in that despair, the darkness creeps in and the shadows come. And you're living a life of illusion, thinking that somehow that this life makes sense with all the bells and the whistles. And you keep the radio loud and the music blaring and you're entertained with all your stupidity with one show after the next, even though generation and generation testify to the emptiness of what it is you pursue. You, you gather all the wealth hoping that now you'll be happy and you know there's never enough. There's never enough. This is what Easter does. Easter changes the mood of hopelessness from the crucifixion on Friday to the relief and the joy on Sunday of Resurrection Sunday today. Today we participate in the greatest event in human history that separates Christianity from every religion in the world. It's the day that empowers Christianity and empowers all of us. And when you check the rock, when you check the rock, you discover it's been moved by the power of the Lord. The tomb is empty. You see, the earth shook and the angels pushed the stone away. The rock has been rolled away from the tomb and has unlocked death and bringing life into a place of death. When you go to the tomb of Jesus, there's no body because there is no death. He is alive. That's our Savior. He defeated death. He kept his promise to rise again and he wants you to walk into the tomb and see that he's not there. I think of that. I've sent this invitation out to the congregation. Now it's too late because all the spots are filled, but I invited you to go to Israel and some of you didn't go because you were afraid. You were afraid. And do you realize at 51 years of age that I have no fear of death? What are you going to do, threaten me with heaven? 
I'm not afraid of you. There are people in here that are armed and they're concerned because I'm a public figure and, and they want to protect me, and I understand that. But more than protect me, they want to protect you in case this fallen world that seems to be getting increasingly darker, they want to protect all of you. People who said, you should probably carry a concealed weapon. You should probably wear a bulletproof vest. I am immortal until God's done with me. There's nothing you can do that has to first pass through the sovereign hand of God before it reaches me. I'm not afraid. You can't cause me to be afraid. Some of you won't go to Israel because you're afraid of what's happening over there. I'm, I'm looking forward to going to Israel. I'm going to have a blast. One way or the other. <laughs> When you check the rock, when you check the rock, remember that the rolling away of the rock is evidence that death has been defeated. The rolling away of the rock promise is the promise of God to unlock for all of us a fear of death. He's opened the tomb so that we can see that Jesus has overcome death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The angel rolled the, the rock away from the tomb, the entrance of the tomb, so that we could behold the resurrection of Christ. He didn't have anything to prove. Even when he, he reappeared, he only reappeared to those who'd already trusted in him. He doesn't have to prove himself to mankind. All creation speaks of the glory of the Lord. The sun rises, you see it. There's a hope of tomorrow. But without a resurrection, what do you sing? The sun will come out tomorrow. Who cares? What is your hope? Really, what is your hope? You can't deny the fact that the clock is ticking and time is fading. And an account of your life will be given and God declares that you must trust in him for the remission of your sins, that his blood was shed to forgive you, to be reconciled to the Father. Into thy hands, Father, I commit my spirit. Have you committed your life to the Father through the Son? Have you been reconciled? Are you in the strong hands of your creator who promises to take you where you are to where you belong? You see, for the believer, death isn't anything we're to be afraid of. Death isn't anything in my equation. There's the physical death where the body ceases to function, but it's the spiritual death, separation from God for all eternity that we're to fear. I have no fear of that. For me as a Christian, death is falling asleep and awaking in heaven in a brand new body, eternal in the heavens healed completely of all the struggles and difficulties of life. And the reason why I can trust in that is because of the rock. Check the rock. My faith is upon the stone, the rock of Christ, the salvation of the Lord. His promises are always kept. And the The reality of the resurrection of Easter Sunday is that there is no death for those who would trust in the Lord. You check the rock. You see, it's not that you and I won't face death. We will. It's not that death isn't going to come to all of us. It will. But it's that there is life in that death for those who would trust in Christ. I love the story of the little girl. And this is fascinating because my wife would tell of a story when she was young. They lived near a cemetery. This isn't about her, but there was a little girl that to get to her home every day, she'd walk through the cemetery. Even at twilight when the shadows would come, 
she would walk through the cemetery to get to her house. It was the quickest distance. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line. That would take her through the cemetery. And as she would walk through the cemetery, they would ask her, aren't you afraid? Aren't you afraid? How do you stave off the fear? And she just simply said, I'm not afraid. I simply cross the graveyard to get home. You see, that's the key. That's the secret for those of you who are afraid right now. The resurrection and the stone being rolled away destroyed death. Check the rock. It's turned death for those who believe into a simple pathway home. You don't have to be afraid of it anymore. Jesus was resurrected from death, so resurrection awaits all of us. Those who are in Christ will be raised from death to life with him forever. The fear of death is gone. The birth of Christ was the promise. And Easter is the fulfillment of that promise. Christ came to abolish death. As Ken Hasegawa, our elder, read in 1 Corinthians 15, Oh, death, where is your sting? And I say that to you because the story with my dad, looking at that silly structure, check the rock. What questions do you have? What are you afraid of? What paralyzes you? Why are you afraid of church? Why are you afraid of life? Why are you afraid? The answer to all of that is found by just simply checking the rock. It's the rock of salvation. It's Jesus Christ. The stone has been rolled away. The tomb is empty. This is resurrection. This is the power of a living Savior. This is the hope for all mankind. And it will be declared for generations after me, long after I'm gone, saving the Lord's return. And we've been declaring it for thousands of years to all who would believe and thank God for it because that power, that resurrection has preserved in a fallen world a vestige of life. It has given us a culture that has allowed us to understand inalienable rights. It has given us a culture where we care for the least of these. All of this has come come from Jesus Christ. All this has come from the realization that we are men and women who live on this earth knowing we will face a physical death, but we live unto life, a Savior who is redeemed, and we declare that message to you today. What is your hope? And I guarantee you, when you check the rock, your hope is is worthless compared to the hope of an empty tomb. You have no answer to death, but today you do. Today as you've checked the rock, and however you ended up coming here and listening to this message, your ears have allowed you to see that there's hope. And God has said to you today, I am the rock of your salvation. Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Check the rock. The rock of your salvation If you believe in your heart and you confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's a gift. It's it's the difference from this intellectual understanding to sitting in the seat and putting your hands in the hands of the Father and that he will safely carry you where you need to go as as a father would carry the children to their bed. And death for you is only a pathway to life. You only have to walk through the cemetery 
It's a pathway home. It's going to be all right. And not only in the life to come, but right now, it gives answers to all of your questions as you just check the rock. Every struggle you're enduring and every heartache you face and when loved ones die and you hear the word cancer and you struggle in a community where there's children suffering and struggling with addiction and you're dealing with the murder of our innocent young and all the things that we endure as a society, instead of losing hope, I just check the rock. I know in whom I trust. I know in whom I believe. And God is using us as a preservative for a world that is longing for hope and we are that light. And light has the power to overcome darkness and in your world of illusion and disillusionment, God is saying to you now, into your darkness is shown a great light and that is the hope of salvation. Check the rock. And it's there for you now. It's a gift. You don't need to be afraid of it. You don't need to be ashamed of it. You just embrace it. You may be in the minority, but that's okay. That's okay. Because one man and God constitutes a majority. We're all gonna be all right. You just trust, trust yourself into the hands of the Father. I leave you with this last thought. I've shared this story, but I love to do it at Easter. It's a picture of salvation to me so clear that I want you to hear it. And for those of you who've heard it before, know that the folks that are here haven't and they need to hear it. Pray for them while I share this. Growing up in Coronado, I had the privilege to be a lifeguard. And I remember one summer where we'd had the, the southern swell out of Mexico and the waves were so big. We'd had countless rescues that day and the rip currents had been very active and people had been sucked out all day and we hadn't had any fatalities or, or anything along those lines. We'd rescued all of them. I had, I think that day, over 20 rescues under my belt. And I was the rookie guard, so I was sitting shotgun at the close of the day where we had to shut down the beach and no more swimming was permitted. And we were standing in front of a group of swimmers that we'd asked to leave the water and they wouldn't leave. And so we were instructing them to move because we saw a rip current forming in the area. And we knew that they were in a dangerous position and we'd had rescues there all day. And as we're telling them to move and we asked them to leave, but they wouldn't, then we're asking them to move and they just kept giving us the international sign of get lost. You know what that is. <laughs> and to make matters worse, I, I was an avid Charger fan and every one of these folks were wearing Raiders outfits. <laughs> and I was, it was within me. I wasn't a believer then. I just figured let them drown, less Raider fans. <laughs> But of course, a series of waves came in and then the water had to recede and it found the place of least resistance creating this rip current and they started to get sucked out and a few of them made it in but one fella who was pretty heavy set and he was so big he had his own zip code and there he was wearing a very large Raiders shirt and he got sucked out and he was doing what we call climbing the ladder where he's just trying to get in and he's making no progress. He's getting sucked out further and further and I knew I had to go and you could see the labor on his face. And so the man driving points to me and I'm shivering cold. The heater in the, in the vehicle's broken and I'd been in and out of the water all day and the, the marine layer was rolling in and it was getting cold and I, I, I just didn't want to do it again. And I was so frustrated. I could have avoided this had he just listened to my command, had he just done what I knew he needed to do, but he avoided it. He knew better. And so I pop the Peterson tube. I put it over my shoulder. I put my fins on. I start to swim out there. The water's cold. I'm irritated. I'm not God. Mind you, he loves you. I hated that guy. 
I swam out there. I get to him. I give him the Peterson tube. I'm watching him, and he's just laboring. I said, grab the tube. And you could hear his friends on the shore laughing because he's the one who got sucked out, and all of his friends are laughing because he has to be rescued by the lifeguard. And I hand him the tube, and he goes, I don't need your tube. And I'm shivering, and I'm, I'm resting on the tube, shivering, irritated. And I have to wait for this guy, for his will to be broken, for his stupidity to take root, for the realization of what a knucklehead he is. Somehow he's going to overcome the, the power of this rip current in his very large and non-exercised body. And I'm cold, and he's purple. He looks like Barney. And I'm just sitting there, and, and he aspirates a little water and starts coughing, and panic sets in. He could see it lock into his eyes. He says, help, I need the tube, I need the tube. No, I'm not a Christian, mind you. And as I float on that tube, I look at him, and I say, you say please. He looks at me, he says, Oh, I need the tube. I said, you say, please. I knew you needed to be saved. I've been out here freezing, waiting for you to get this through your thick skull. And all I had to do was strap you in and have you back on shore. But I had to sit here through your pride. Now you say, please. I was pissed. He says, please, please, please. And I hook him up. And I swim him in with my fins. I go parallel to the rip current, bring him in. We get into shore. And all of his friends start laughing at him. I just saved his life. They're laughing at him. He goes and grabs his clothes and he says, you're laughing at me, but he saved my life. You're not my friends. And he left. Not realizing till today how significant, as I've shared the story on other times, how significant that moment was. Because that's me. And that's you. You're so paralyzed by the whims of this world that you're refusing so great a salvation. You refuse to check the rock. But you're here today. However you got here, you're here today. And you need to be saved. You must be saved. Oh, I pray Con Turner knows the Lord. I pray she did. All I can do is tell you. But you gotta get it through your thick skull to grab that tube. Please. I can even beg you. I won't laugh at you. To the contrary, the, the folks here in this room, if you give your heart to the Lord, they're not going to laugh at you. They're going to they're rejoice with you because they know how profound what you've done is. They've already checked the rock. They're thrilled that you're doing the same. And I do not want to end today's service on this Resurrection Sunday with the stone rolled away as together we've checked the rock without giving an opportunity to receive your Savior. And I'm going to do it simply this way. In a moment, we're going to pray and your heads will be bowed and your eyes will be closed. I'm going to ask you, if you want to receive the Lord, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. It's an act of faith. It's like reaching out for the tube. Just put your hand out. And if that's all you can do, then do it. To every man is given a measure of faith and I'll, I'll see it. And even if I miss it, God will see it. It's an act of your heart, sitting in the chair, putting your trust, committing your spirit into the hands of the Father. But I'm going to do one more after that. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come forward and pray with the folks who are up here. Now, you don't have to. But in the course of my life, I did. And that's what set my feet on a firm foundation to walk with Christ all the days of my life. It meant a lot to me to go forward. It profoundly changed my life. 
I stand before you, a man who struggled with drug addiction, a man who has no right to be married to a woman like Michelle and have five wonderful kids and to be a pastor of a church, let alone a city council member. You talk to the other three men of the four horses, four men of the apocalypse, and they would laugh thinking he's a pastor. That's because I came forward in faith. I checked the rock and I stood upon it. Don't be afraid. Today fear dissipates because hope has come. Today is Resurrection Sunday and God wants to redeem you and deliver you from death unto life. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Let your heart be settled right now. This is a holy moment. God has ordained from the dawn of time that this would be for you. If there was no other person in the room but you, God orchestrated that he would speak to you right now. I remember this day in my own life and how profound it was and how special it was. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, you've heard. God has testified to you today that the tomb is empty. You've checked the rock. You've seen that it's been rolled away and the resurrection is real. And that God has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And all of us are drowning in a sea of sin and he's come to set us free. He's come to set us free. And as he extends to you this day that a hope of salvation, the only thing that hinders you is the fear of the voices on the shore. But you and I both know you need to be saved. And it's your pride that keeps you from that. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. A man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he can never lose. Today God wants to give you eternal life. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand to receive this salvation. Do it in faith. Every man is given a measure of faith. You just reach out and you grab that. So as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I extend to you now this, this salvation of a God so great, he's come to seek and to save that which is lost. If you wanna receive him as your savior, right now, I want you to raise your hand. Put him up. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Over here, God bless you. Back there, God bless you. Praise you, Lord. You can put your hands down. I did my best to see them all, but God saw every single one of them. More importantly, he sees your heart, and he loves you. For those of you, your hand almost felt paralyzed. You couldn't do it. It's okay. God's not done with you yet. He's a hound from heaven. He's coming after you because he loves you. And I'm gonna ask that God give you the strength to put feet to your faith. Lord, I praise you and I thank you for those who've given their heart to you. I thank you that they've trusted in you. They've checked the rock and they've trusted in the resurrection and the power of a savior who's come to seek and to save that which is lost. They've committed their soul into the hands of the father. And Lord, you'll get us safely to where we belong. We're no longer afraid of death and this life now has hope. And it's all because of you, our Savior, who overcame death by the resurrection. And so we praise you. Bless those who've given their hearts. You give them faith. Give them strength. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's clap for those folks who gave their hearts to God.